0: Hi guys, this is Danita Platt with Platt Family, and you are listening to our podcast, School in the Wild. This is Reading 3 from Volume 1 of Charlotte Mason's Home Education Series, and we are picking up at Part 1, which is titled, Some Preliminary Considerations. Not the least sign of the higher status they have gained is the growing desire for work that obtains amongst educated women. The world wants the work of such women, and presently, as education becomes more general, we shall see all women with the capacity to work falling into the ranks of working women with definite tasks, fixed hours, and for wages, the pleasure and honor of doing useful work if they are under no necessity to earn money. Children are a public trust. Now, that work which is of most importance to society, is the bringing up and instruction of children. In the school, certainly, but far more in the home. Because it is more than anything else, the home influences brought to bear upon the child that determine the character and career of the future man or woman. It is a great thing to be a parent. There is no promotion, no dignity to compare with it. The parents of but one child may be cherishing what shall prove a blessing to the world, but then, entrusted with such a charge, they are not free to say, I may do as I will with my own. The children are, in truth, to be regarded less as personal property than as public trusts. Put into the hands of parents that they may make the very most of them for the good of society, And this responsibility is not equally divided between the parents. It is upon the mothers of the present that the future of the world depends, in even a greater degree than upon the fathers, because it is the mothers who have the sole direction of the children's early, most impressionable years. This is why we hear so frequently of great men who have had good mothers, that is, mothers who brought up their children themselves, and did not make over their gravest duty to indifferent persons. Mothers owe a thinking love to their children. The mother is qualified, says Pestalozzi, and qualified by the creator himself to become the principal agent in the development of her child. And what is demanded of her is a thinking love. God has given to the child all the faculties of our nature, but the grand point remains undecided. How shall his heart, this head, these hands be employed? To whose service shall they be dedicated? A question, the answer to which involves a futurity of happiness or misery to the life so dear to thee. Maternal love is the first agent in education. We are waking up to our duties and in proportion as mothers become more highly educated and efficient. They will doubtless feel the more strongly that the education of their children during the first six years of life is an undertaking hardly to be entrusted to any hands but their own, and they will take it up as their profession, that is, with the diligence, regularity, and punctuality which men bestow to their professional labors, that the mother may know what she is about, may come thoroughly furnished to her work, she should have something more than a hearsay acquaintance with the theory of education and with those conditions of the child's nature upon which such theory rests. The training of children dreadfully defective. The training of children, says Mr. Herbert Spencer, physical, moral, and intellectual is dreadfully defective and in great measure it is so because parents are devoid of that knowledge by which this training alone can be rightly guided what is to be expected when one of the most intricate of problems is undertaken by those who have scarcely a thought to the principle upon which solutions depend for shoemaking or house building for the management of a ship or of a locomotive engine a long apprenticeship is needful It is, then, that the unfolding of a human being in body and mind is so comparatively simple a process that anyone may superintend and regulate it with no preparation whatsoever? If not, if the process is, with one exception, more complex than any in nature, and the task of ministering to it one of the supremely difficult It is not madness to make no. Is it not madness to make no provision for such a task? Better sacrifice accomplishments than omit this all essential instruction. Some acquaintance with the first principles of physiology and the elementary truths of psychology is indispensable for the right bringing up of children. Here are the indisputable facts that the development of children in mind and body follows certain laws that unless these laws are in some degree conformed to by parents, death is inevitable. That unless they are in great degree conformed to, and that only when they are completely conformed to, can a perfect maturity be reached. Judge, then, whether all who may one day be parents should not strive with some anxiety to learn what these laws are. Herbert Spencer, Education. How Parents Usually Proceed The parent begins instinctively by regarding his child as an unwritten tablet and is filled with great resolve as to what he shall write thereon. By and by traits of disposition appear, the child has little ways of his own, and at first, every new display of personality is a delightful surprise. That the infant should show pleasure at the sight of his father, that his face should cloud in sympathy with his mother, must always be wonderful to us. But the wonder stales his parents are used to the fact by the time the child shows himself as a complete human being like themselves, with affections, desires, powers taking to his book, perhaps as a duck to the water or to the games which shall make a man of him. The notion of doing all for the child with which the parents began gradually, recedes. So soon as he shows that he has a way of his own, he is encouraged to take it. Father and mother have no great delight than to watch the individuality of their child unfold as a flower unfolds, but Othello loses his occupation. The more the child shapes his own course, the less do the parents find to do. Beyond feeding him with food convenient, whether of love or thought, or bodily meat and drink. And here, we may notice the parents need only supply. The child knows well enough how to appropriate. The parent's chief care is that that which they supply shall be wholesome and nourishing, whether in the way of picture books, lessons, playmates, bread and milk, or mother's love. This is education as most parents understand it with more of meat, more of love, more of culture, according to their kind and degree. They let their children alone, allowing human nature to develop on its own lines, modified by facts of environment and descent. Nothing could be better for the child than this masterly inactivity, so far as it goes. It is well. He should not be let grow and helped to grow according to his nature, so long as the parents do not step in to spoil him. Much good, and no very evident harm comes from the letting him alone. But this philosophy of letting him be, while it covers a part, does not cover the serious part of the parent's calling, does not touch, does not touch the strenuous, incessant efforts upon lines of law which go to the producing of a human being at his best. Nothing is trivial that concerns a child. His foolish-seeming words and ways are pregnant with meaning for the wise. It is in the infinitely little we must study in the infinitely great. And the vast possibilities and the right direction of education are indicated in the open book of the little child's thoughts. A generation ago, a teacher among us never wearied of reiterating that in the divine plan, the family is the unit of the nation. Not the individual, but the family. There's a great deal of teaching in the phrase. But this lies on the surface. The whole is greater than the parts. The whole contains the parts. The whole owns the parts, orders the parts. And thus being so, the children are the property of the nation, to be brought up for the nation as is best for the nation, and not according to the whim of individual parents. The law is for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. So practically, parents have very free play, very free play, but it is as well we should remember that the children are a national trust whose bringing up is the concern of all, even those unmarried and childless persons whose part in the game is the rather dreary one of looking on. A method of education. Traditional methods of education. Never was it more necessary for parents to face for themselves this question of education in all its bearings. Hitherto, children have been brought up upon traditional methods, mainly. The experience of our ancestors floating in a vast number of educational maxims is handed from lip to lip, and few or many of these maxims form the educational code of every household. But we hardly take in how complete a revolution advancing science is affecting in the theory of education. The traditions of the elders have been tried and found wanting. It will be long before the axioms of the new school pass into the common currency. And in the meantime, parents are thrown upon their own resources and absolutely must weigh principles and adopt a method of education for themselves. For instance, according to the former code, a mother might use her slipper now and then to good effect and without blame. But now, the person of the child is, whether rightly or wrongly, held sacred with the infliction of pain for moral purposes, is pretty generally disallowed. Again, the old rule of the children's table was, the plainer the better, and let hunger bring sauce. Now, the children's diet must be at least as nourishing and as varied as that of their elders. An appetite, the cravings for certain kinds of food, hitherto a vicious tendency to be repressed, is now, within certain limitations, the parent's most trustworthy guide in arranging a dietary for their children. Their children should be trained to endure hardness, was a principle of the old regime. I shall never make a sailor if I can't face the wind and rain, said a little fellow of five who was taken out on a bitter night to see a torchlight procession and though shaking with cold, he declined the shelter of a shed. Nowadays, the shed is everything. The children must not be permitted to suffer from fatigue or exposure. The children should do as they are bid, mind their books and take pleasure as it offers when nothing stands in the way, sums up the old theory. Now, the pleasure of children are apt to be made more account than their duties. Formerly, they were brought up in subjugation. I'm sorry, they were brought up in subjection. Now, the elders give place and the world is made for children. English people rarely go so far as the parents of that story in French home life, who arrived an hour late at a dinner party because they had been desired by their girl of three to undress and go to bed when she did and were able to steal away only when the child was asleep. We do not go so far, but that is the direction in which we are now moving. And... How far the new theories of education are wise and humane, the outcome of more widely spread physiological and psychological knowledge, and how far they just pander to child worship to which we are succumbing is not a question to be decided off hand. At any rate, it is not too much to say that a parent who does not follow reasonably a method of education fully thought out fails now more than ever to fulfill the claims his children have upon him method a way to an end method implies two things a way to an end and a step by step progress in that way further the following of a method implies an idea a mental image of the end of object to be arrived at what do you propose that education shall effect in for your child What do you suppose that education shall affect in and for your child? Again, method is natural, easy, yielding, unobtrusive, simple as the ways of nature herself, yet watchful, careful, all-pervading, all-compelling. Method, with the end of education in view, presses the most unlikely matters into service to bring about that end but with no tiresome mechanism then the sun employs when it makes the wind to blow and the waters to flow only by shining the parent who sees his way that is the exact force of method to educate his child will make use of every circumstance of the child's life almost without intention on his own part so easy and spontaneous is a method of education based upon natural law does the child eat or drink does he come or go or play all the time He is being educated? Though he is little aware of it, and he is of the act of breathing, then he is of the act of breathing. There is always the danger that a method, a bona fide method, should be generated into a mere system. The kindergarten method, for instance, deserves the name as having been conceived and perfected by large-hearted educators to aim the many-sided evolution of the living, growing, most complex human being, but what a miserable wooden system does it become in the hands of ignorant practitioners? A system easier than a method. A system of education is an alluring fantasy, more so on some counts than a method because it is pledged to more uh, definite, calculable results. By means of a system, certain developments may be brought about through the observance of given rules. Shorthand, dancing, how to pass examinations, how to become a good accountant or woman of society may be learned upon systems. Systems, the observing of rules until the habit of doing certain things, of behaving in certain ways is conformed and therefore the art is acquired, is so successful in achieving precise results that it is no wonder there should be endless attempts to straighten the whole field of education to the limits of a system. If a human being were a machine, education could do more for him than to set him in action to prescribed ways, and the work of the educator would be simply to adopt a good working system or set of systems. But... The educator has to deal with a self-acting, self-developing being and his business is to guide, assist in the production of the latent good in that being, the dispensation of the latent evil, the preparation of the child to take his place in the world at his best with every capacity for good that is in him developing into a power. Though system is a highly useful as an instrument of education, A system of education is mischievous as producing only mechanical action instead of vital growth and movement of a living being. It is worthwhile to point out the differing characteristics of a system and a method because parents let themselves be run away with often enough by some plausible system, the object of which is to produce development in one direction of the muscles, of the memory, of the reasoning faculty were a complete all-around education. This easy satisfaction arrives from the sluggishness of human nature to which any definite scheme is more agreeable than the constant watchfulness, the unforeseen action called for when the whole of a child's existence is to be used as the means of his education. But who is sufficient for an education so comprehensive, so incessant, A parent may be willing to undergo any definite labors for his child's sake, but to be always catering to his behoof, always contriving that circumstances shall play upon him for his good, is the part of a God, not a man. A reasonable objection enough, if one looks upon education as an endless series of independent efforts, each to be thought out and acted out on the spur of the moment. But the fact is that a few broad, essential principles cover the whole field. And these, once fully laid hold of, it is as easy and natural to act upon them as it is to act upon our knowledge of such facts as that fire burns and water flows. My endeavor in this and the following chapters will be to put these few fundamental principles before you in their practical bearing. Meantime, let us consider one or two preliminary questions we're going to stop here the next section is the child's estate that will be reading four thank you so much for hanging out i appreciate you listening to this with me and um, i will be back in a little bit the next podcast will be my thoughts and reflections on this chunk of charlotte mason's um first volume in the home education series if you have any thoughts please feel free to email me i'd love to hear from you at platt at gmail.com. thanks so much guys for hanging out have a great day